Welcome to I Do, I Did, I'm Done, the podcast about life's challenges and how to handle them. I'm Randy Fincher. I'm a wife, mama, and a wedding planner. I'm Henry Fincher, and I'm a trial lawyer. We're married. We're married. So this podcast is going to be about life lessons from the NICU. Because let's face it, we've been through hell and we've learned a lot of things along the way for sure. And I cannot promise I will not cry on this podcast. So if you hear me boohoo or me try to breathe because I have tears and snot all over my face, just just ignore that sound, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the NICU is the neonative intensive care unit um, where our 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 daughter was born very young. She was born at 22 weeks and three days, the, the very edge of viability. She was born uh, on November 30th, 2022. Uh, happy ending. She's doing very well. She's just a big, fat, happy baby now. But Randy and I uh, and Maggie spent 140-some-odd days in the NICU as she um, – Fought for life. There, there's no other way to put it. That's exactly what she did, particularly in the early days. Uh, she was a Vanderbilt. Uh, can't sing their praises enough as as uh, an institution and the doctors and, and the nurses there. I mean, it's uh, they they did their job. But we we learned a lot. We learned a lot about ourselves and about life. And uh, we hope to share some of these with you. I think they're. They're obviously relevant if anybody is facing uh, these sort of medical challenges going into the NICU, but I think it applies to other ones. But also just how to, how to kind of approach life and, and savor the moment. Uh, Randy, what was the, the biggest lesson or one of the biggest lessons that you learned from the, the crucible of the NICU? I think the biggest lesson that I learned was that the things that I thought mattered, they don't matter at all. What do you mean? So I absolutely love my planner. And I remember having, it's funny because I remember, I, first of all, I bring my planner with me everywhere. You're talking about a notebook. My notebook planner, right? yes. Okay. Go ahead. And Sorry. I just remember writing, I literally write everything in it. And I remember creating to-do list for my to-do list. And... And I remember looking at it, and at one point we were in the NICU. I think it was December, and I literally looked at it, and I just threw my entire planner away. And I and that was like, Why? I just threw it away because I thought, you know what? Like well, these are the things that I had on it. Now remember, this was before we had Maggie, so sure. these were the things that were on. These are the things yeah. that I thought were important. Now they are important, but they're not like you know life or death important. Yeah. So like it was. Uh, get Henry's Christmas present wrapped. And instead of wrapping your Christmas gift, I ended up buying two of them because of pregnancy insomnia. And we have beautiful, beautiful cookware now. But I remember doing writing that down. And I remember uh, washing Maggie's baby clothes. And this was November, you know, and she wasn't due till April. And I'm sitting here thinking, why in the hell do I need to go and wash these clothes? I could have washed them, you know, later, you know. And then it also had 
pedicure, which obviously that's very important because uh, I've got to go see Rose at Tommy's. But, you know, (laughs) there's things that just looking at it like wrapping this present, doing this, getting this done. I remember just throwing it away and being like, you know what? Screw all this. You know, I... I'm only focused on my baby right now and I want to make sure that she's doing okay. And I also was able to pump, which uh, a goal for myself was as a mom. You're talking about breast milk. For yeah, the baby. breast okay. milk for yeah. the baby was always to, to be able to breastfeed. And obviously she latched and she had a few issues later down the road and we weren't able to do that, but I was able to pump and I literally felt like a milkmaid. So, you know, just being able to do that and just only that was my only focus was just making sure that Millie was taken care of and making sure that you and I were somewhat stable and that I could be a milkmaid and pump because I'll never forget the doctor looked at me and he said, this is the only thing that I need from you. And I need are you I'll never forget. He said, are you going to pump? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, I'll try. He goes, I need this from you. This is going to heal her. If it's anything that I can't give her, you can. And that right there stuck with me. And I was just, I was just a milkmaid. And I just was so proud of myself. But, you know, just the things, the things I thought mattered, they just didn't matter anymore. And that's, and now as I go to make my to-do list now that she's healthy, I look at things like, do I need to color code a one-year-old's closet? The answer is no, I do not. Um, Does it bring me joy? You know, not really. As long as they're clean. You know, I think that's the the mom in me now that I'm just like, the things I thought mattered, they just, they don't matter anymore. What matters are my kids and you. Yeah. Well, the. the, And the pedicures. (laughs) Those are important. The, the, The hell of the NICU for me was, and I know you felt the same way, it was just the uncertainty. I mean, it was, she was so fragile. She weighed 15 ounces when she arrived, 15.2 ounces. She was smaller than an elf on the shelf. She literally would have fit. Elf on the shelf weighs more than what she did. She would have fit in the palm of my hand. And she was, she almost died her first night. They they saved her. Uh, Respiratory therapist uh, saved her. Her pulse uh, oximetry was going down. She was down in the 60s. She was as purple as... As an eggplant, but they gave her uh, nitric. Um, some, that's what they call it. I don't know nitric what, but they gave it to her, and it stabilized her, and then she recovered. And she was still clinging to life. And, but that, w- that was the closest that she came, but there were plenty of scares. I mean, going going to bed and not knowing if, when you wake up if your baby's going to be alive or not was a special kind of hell. You just, just, and there was nothing to do other than do it. You know, you knew you needed to eat. You knew you needed to sleep. You knew you needed to take care of basic life functions. Um, but that month of December. You have me in tears. Yeah, <laughs> Don't mind um, me. Well, it was awful, baby. But uh, the the lesson that I had I had learned in other contexts before we got married, I used to do uh, both long distance running and high altitude mountaineering and climbing Kilimanjaro. is probably the best expression of it. They said, how do you get to the top of Kilimanjaro? And in Swahili, they say, pole, pole. That just means slowly. How do you get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro? Slowly. And the key 
for going up any big mountain is to take your time and not get in the rush and to deal with the next step that's in front of you and just do it. Just fucking do it. Just do one step after the other. And in the NICU, that lesson, what's the next step that I have to take? What's the next step that I have to deal with? It was crucial to getting through it because if you start thinking and this is true of a lot of a lot of medical problems. If you start thinking about the what ifs, or Doctor Google, let's the, be fake. Let's or Doctor Google. Google is not the, a doctor. No, and the, the, just the possibilities of what it could be. Look, I'll fast forward to the end. The possibilities are horrendous. They all end in a miserable death. Okay, and that doesn't matter what your face. If you have a hangnail, it can get infected and you can die a miserable death from sepsis. Don't do that. Deal with what's in front of you. What do I do? I've got a hangnail. How do I treat it? What do I do? Go see Rose. Yeah. I've got a child in the NICU. What do I do next? Well, I can be there. I can be involved in the, they had morning rounds. The doctors would come around uh, and the, the whole team, it wasn't just doctors. It was respiratory therapists. It was nutritionists. It was um, uh, all kinds of, of nurses and nurse all practitioners. All different types of people that you would never even think that would be there. And I remember just being like, all of these people are here for all of these babies. And let's just, yeah. I think it's good to set like what, what it looked like. So they had a place, it was called Stallman. Now it's closed down, but... You would walk in a room, and these this was basically the ICU for premature babies or babies that had problems. Yeah, they opened Stallman, I think, in the 70s, late 70s maybe. And so it was state-of-the-art, like 1970s stuff. The equipment was updated, but it was a baby warehouse. It was, it was like they had rooms with about 15, 20 infants uh, when they were full in one room, and there were three rooms kind of together. And... Yeah, and so you're in there, and if you're sitting by your baby, there's another... It's like an office cubicle box, basically, but without the walls. Yeah. You're just all yeah. opened. Yeah, imagine an office cubicle without the cubicle. Yeah. It's just, you're just kind of sitting on top of there. each other. Yeah, but it, it, kind of, it, it worked, and it had its own flow. Having been there for so many days, we learned it. But when the team would come around, the team would come up, to the, they call it an isolate. It's a giraffe. It's a little incubator box that they kept the baby in. And uh, and they would talk. They would review the chart and they would talk about the, the latest developments and what they're going to do and the plan of action and all this stuff. And some days it was absolutely critical to be there because there were care decisions that had to be made. And as the parents, we were the ones that could do it. But other days, I mean, there was just a lot of information. And so... You know, I don't I'll never forget my first yeah. round and my best friend, Dr. Rachel Allen Finters Kirk. Bless her heart. That's a long name. No, it's just Dr. Kirk. But um, you know, my best friend, she's a doctor. And so I remember making flashcards with her. And I remember hearing some of the the terms that they were saying were on her flashcards. And I was like, okay, I think I remember this a little bit. Obviously, I have no medical brain and I just the side of blood I can't do. But I remember some of the things, and it's like I literally felt like from day one to today, 140-ish, I walked out a nurse 
or a slight, like maybe a nurse practitioner <laughs> with, with the lingo, you know, because especially you, because we started learning their terms and learning things of what they were discussing. But my favorite thing about rounds was that once we really understood what they were saying, you would be like, oh, wait, no, this isn't right. This is what happened. And yeah, then you would the correct. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. We're all humans. We all make mistakes, you sure. know, but charting is 30 babies. Yeah. Charting is yeah. very important. But that was my favorite thing is, you know, oh, no, she had this. And also a mother's intuition, you know, when your baby doesn't feel good, you know, when something's wrong, whether you've known them for five years, like I've, I've had Millie or whether you literally know a baby that should still be in your room, still be in your womb at 22 weeks. Like you, you just connect with that baby. You just know your kid. And I'll never forget at one point, you know, they need, she needed LASIK to, for swelling. And I, and I finally realized what LASIK was and I realized what it was doing and, they were like, we don't know if we should give it to her. And I remember telling them, I want you to do a full panel on her, meaning that I need you to check her her out completely. Something's not right. She ended up having an infection. Yeah. They gave her antibiotic. They gave her LASIK. And I'll never forget, it was the first time, oh, I can't make this without crying. I can't look at you all cry. I have to look at this screw on the wall. Anyways, um, I remember Dr. Crackhower. She was like, I've done this for a long time, but I cannot ever compete with the bond between a mama and a baby. And you know best. This is what we're going to do. And I thought, shit, you know, this is, I was like, shit, that's what I said to myself. I was like, shit, this is some deep stuff. But I remember being like, thank just thanks for listening. And turns well, out right. Ma- Maggie's, her hemoglobin and I mean, all this stuff, it was just a mess. And yeah, I remember just, it was awful. And then it was just something that I remember just being like, never, never doubt a mama or even a dad for that matter. You know, that my, my fa- one of my favorite memories was two gay military men in the NICU who were there with two twin babies that they adopted who were drug babies. And they were there just as much as we were, you yeah. know? So, well, I mean. And, and, you know, that's, that's something else because we saw probably – 150 different infants around us during our time in in the NICU. There were a lot of kids coming and going. None of them were as young as Maggie. Uh, I think there was one that was like 24 weeks while we were there. His name was but, John. I'll never forget. Yeah, and he, and he had a happy ending too, I believe. But out of all those babies, there were maybe five or six families that that were involved. And by and by family, I'm talking about a, a, a you know, a, a, parent. a parent or or two parents that were involved. The ones that were involved were very involved. Randy's right, probably the most the the most devoted parents that were there were these these two gay guys. Now everybody's like, oh these two gay guys. These guys were airborne uh 101st airborne soldiers. One of them was a big old guy. The other one was no slouch. I didn't want to fight either one of them. Not that I would have had to. My favorite but thing they is- they were melting over this baby oh. and fighting over the baby. Like, no, 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 you love no, your daddy. No, you come no, to you this, love this daddy. daddy. This daddy's know? better, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it's and the love was there. And so, you know, people that, I mean, there's a lot of people that would judge them for their lifestyle and their choices and all this. But I'm here to tell you, those two men- Whereas devoted parents, yes, we were. Uh, yeah, on on, and they were, 
they were there and they were committed to that child. And uh, that made them top notch in my book, man. It was because there were a lot of poor kids that literally had no one. Yeah, that the hardest thing for me, <sighs> the two hardest things for me, other than, of course, Maggie, but was the little baby that passed away that was beside Maggie. Yeah. That's how I knew Jesus. it was right at Christmas time. And that's yeah. how I knew that I wanted Amelia to meet Maggie because the selfishness mom in my heart, I, I told myself, I said, I cannot live with the fact of my daughter not ever meeting my baby Damn, because she's, you know, know went from my belly. Then she, and I'll never forget her <sighs> pat on my belly saying, mama, where's baby at? And I said, honey, sissy, sissy's at the hospital and having to explain it to her. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'll never forget the video that we showed her of how small she was, but she walked in that room, she washed her hands and she went over there and she met, met her. And she, I'll never forget. She says, sissy, you don't worry when you get out, I'll take good care of you. And now they're two peas in a pod, but that, that's one of what my was favorite. She said to the doctor, or the, <laughs> she said, she, there was one doctor and it was her birthday and because uh, her birthday's January 8th and she told the doctor they were all at rounds and she says I need you to do your job I need and like she was serious <laughs> she pointed her finger the Cindy yeah. came out in her and she pointed at him and she says I need you to do your job it was Dr. Dupree I think was yeah. that is I think that was his name Fellow from Florida he was a cool guy he was yeah. great but he was like yes ma'am you know I will take and he goes she says I'm serious <laughs> And he, I'll never forget, he squatted down and he looked at her and he says, I will do all that I can to take care of your sister. And then, and then they all were just like, you know, we're going to take care of yeah. your sissy. Yeah, that team was great. They 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 listened. They were invested. They were involved. And, uh, you know. It, it, Tara and Stacy, I yeah. still keep up with them. They're the best nurses, nurses in the entire yeah. world. Oh, they were wonderful. And, of course, uh, there were several more well, as well. Haley, too, from those first, she was there that first two weeks and that that first night, I mean, you were you were recovering from the C section when she when Maggie almost died. I mean, she was an angel. They were all no, they're they were all, all really great. Good. I didn't but think I lessons, would cry, but you know, yeah. here here I am. <laughs> yeah. But the lessons from it. So to, you know, the things that mattered before didn't matter a lot. The things that are in front of you are the, the you do what you have to do. Don't make it worse by by worrying and imagining problems that don't exist, that'll kill you, that'll eat you up. And then take care of yourself. You have to take care of the basics, you know? Take a shower, man. Especially have, mental health as well. Eat something better than what they've got in the vending machine, you know? Do something to and, and get some sleep. I mean, even if it's just an hour or two here and there, just... You can endure, but you can't uh, do it all yourself. So you got to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of the people that are around you, and you're not going to be able to do what you need to do because this is an endurance endeavor. We were in there for 140 days. Now that's, what, four and a half months, and it could have been more. And and I really th and oh I because just I'm sitting here wiping my nose, everybody, and haul. just sitting here crying. This is probably going to be a, a little bit of a longer podcast today, but I remember I'll never forget. I'll say this. I'll try my best to say it without crying. I have, literally have to not look at Henry, or I'll or I'll cry. I'll never forget my dad. 
he came down and this is therapy today. Anyways, <laughs> he came down to Nashville the night we had Maggie and he just petted my head and he said, you have got to go to bed. Yeah. And I said, I'm afraid if I wake up in the morning, I'm going to have a dead baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember him saying, you know, you got to, you got to take care of yourself. He said, she needs a strong mama. And I was like, okay. And I woke up and my, and, and I always believe that God puts people in your life for a greater purpose. But my sorority sister, who I absolutely love with all my entire heart, my little and my sorority, yeah, she walked amazing. in, she walked in the door as a recruitment. And her dad was a pilot. My ex-husband, who I was dating at the time, was a pilot. We had the exact same Tiffany charm necklace that we just made up. It didn't even exist. And at that moment, I knew that she was she was my little. And she, we weren't even allowed to say, oh, you're my little. Oh, cause She wasn't even a member of our sorority. She walked in and I said, you're going to be an AOPI and you're going to be my little. And... I remember that moment with her of her being my little and, you know, coming to my first wedding, you know, having, you know, going to skating rinks with sorority, doing all these things. We grow up. She turns into a nurse and the nurse that's on the triage floor that night is Victoria. And and I had no, had no idea that she was going to be there that night. Her mom messaged me on Facebook and said, Victoria's there. I'm going to let her know you're there. And she came and the the news was delayed. And she, um, at this point, the news was not good the first night with Maggie. And I'll never, I literally, I had a catheter in my body and a C-section, especially an emergency C-section. Mine was so severe that my where my uterus hadn't grown completely, they were just eyeballing on where to cut me. So when they did an absolutely fantastic job, but I remember just, it was, I think three hours, I think it might've, I don't know, two or three hours after we had Maggie, Victoria came to my room and she says, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not looking good, but I know that God put me in your life for a reason. And you've got to get up because I know that you would want to see her and you would want to be with her if she passes. And she took me there. And I think that's when they just finished doing the nitrate or whatever it's called. And she looked at me and she said, this is the magic juice and she's going to make it. And I just, I think it's funny because I always believe that people are placed in your life for a reason. And for me, it was that moment. So. I hope everybody can understand what I'm saying as I wipe snot and wipe tears. But, you know, I just think the main lesson of this podcast is the things that you thought that mattered, they don't matter anymore. And so just make time for yourself, make time for your your spouse and make time for your children because I've been near death. And believe you me, the to-do list can just fuck the to-do list because it just doesn't matter. You can endure it, uh, and uh, it's not going to seem like you can, but just do the next thing, and pretty soon you do the next thing after that. And that pole pole, that one step in front of the other, gets you to where you need to be, and it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, and it doesn't mean it's not going to suck, and it doesn't mean it's all it's going to be happy, but you know what? You can do it. You can endure it. And hopefully there's something here today that, that will help uh, 
help somebody that's going through something. And, and if and not, it's it. been a great therapy session for today. <laughs> so I'm glad. But, you know, people, they just, I think another thing, they just, they think, oh, wow, you all are doing so great. Oh, wow, Maggie's doing great. But, you know, they don't, they don't know that, you know, I will never eat up. Padera bread M&M cookie as long as I live because every time I put it in my mouth I think of the NICU you know they just there's things that that we've been through and I think the, the whole point of the podcast is yeah our lives may look great now but you know what we've been through hell and we've made it on the other side and I that's what I want to hear when I listen to a podcast I want to hear about the raw real the tough moments that people have had to journey like their child's life and having to decide if she ever even wanted to live. Yeah. But we made it. We did. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, as my mama would say. Amen. So hopefully you heard something today that'll help you. Share your ideas with us. Have you been through something? Have you encountered something and found uh, some lessons that have helped you deal with it and get through it? Uh, come and comment. Find us on I Do, I Did, I'm Done podcast. You can comment there. Find our website. We're on social media, Instagram and uh, Facebook. Hey, this is about getting through it together. Uh, if you liked what you heard, review our podcast. Give us five stars. Uh, brag on us. Tell us we're pretty. If you didn't like what you hear, don't tell nobody nothing. Y'all be good.